Hi guys, uh, thank you all for turning out on a cold Friday evening. Um, I'd like to welcome you all to a live Real Horror Show podcast recording. Uh, I'm Mark Sheridan, writer and director of Chrome Wood. Uh, to the left of me, I have Zoe Kavanagh, who is the writer and director of Taran Barker, Demon Hunter, or Demon Hunter, depending which video on demand site you're on. Uh, we've got David Turpin, who is the writer of The Lodgers, uh, which is an upcoming horror film, but it's getting great reviews. I think it premiered at Toronto, is that right? And uh, yeah, that's going to be a big one to watch out for. And then obviously we've got Conor McMahon, the, the infamous Conor McMahon, uh, probably directed more Irish horror films than anyone else in this country, Director of Dead Meat, Stitches, The Disturbed, we might have a chat about, and uh, From the Dark. Hi, hi Connor. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, so what we're going to do is we're just going to have a bit of a chat here, first of all, and then we can ask you guys if there's any questions. You're more than welcome to join in. Uh, and then afterwards, we're going to have our screening. We'll probably break for about 10 minutes, and if anyone wants to go out and buy a few beers or anything, they're more than welcome to. Um, but just to start off, I think we may as well start with Zoe here on my left. Do you want to just briefly talk about why you love horror and then can you name a couple of your favourite horrors? Yeah, why I love horror. Mm. Um, I think what's great about horror is like not only the thrill of being you know, scared or like invested in characters only for things to be lashed away from them, but I mean, I love, I love uh, going back to even gothic horror with Bram Stoker's Dracula and the imagination that you get within that, the mythology that is built, the fantasy, dark fantasy that's within those stories, but then usually you have like um, psychological elements to certain other aspects of horror. There's different ways. I mean, you look at Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you know, that was probably the first found footage film, like, well, one of the first. And, uh, and it, when you sit down and watch it, you feel like is, if the characters are decent enough, you feel like you're there with them. And so, I mean, it, you know, you're terrified. And, 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 you know, you just, uh, you want to see what happens. And, you know, there's that moment where, like, something, like, I know, Tex Chance has no gore in it, but, but the sequels do. Uh, Did you call it a fan footage film? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it was kind of like the illusion of a fan footage film because right. it's shot like a documentary because they didn't, don't have any lights. You know, right, right. You know, so it's, it's not really a fan for but okay, I know yeah, cannibal, cannibal Holocaust. Already fighting no, folks but it, it, it's that, no, look at look at you look at look at films like Last Exorcism, and you look at all those modern ones. They they class them as fan footage films, but they're mm-hmm. they're not, you know. But they they just have that uh, the documentary cinematography. The rawness, um, like yeah, mm, yeah. So your brain makes you think it's a bit more real or gritty, and then then you have uh, you know. You get into more psychological horror stuff like um, Jacob's Ladder, or you know, where you're invested to go into the psyche and the mind of a character, and uh, you know, you get morality tales, you know, like Tales from the Crypt or uh, The Outer Limits. Um, I think uh, the stories I like to explore. I mean, like, I mean, I guess my favorite genres in horror would be. I do like slasher. I do like. Uh, I do like psychological horror, um, and I do like uh, fantasy horror. You know, I mean, you're saying, "What the hell am I talking about?" <laughs> right? I suppose. So you like all horror? <laughs> no, 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 I do. I do like. Yeah, okay. I do like comedy horror. Yeah, One of my favorite. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll, I'll shut up. Um, I'll name my favorites. Okay. Um, Just off the top of your head. Okay, Nightmare on Elm Street, Tree Dream Warriors. I would name Candyman. Well, I'd put that on my list. Um, I would say maybe Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Alien, and um, 
Return of the Living Dead. Oh, good call. It's really funny. Okay, David, so... What do I love about horror? Yeah, well, what, what attracted you to horror, I guess? Are, are you a big horror fan, or just does it happen to be your first film was a horror? Oh, no, I am. Um, I, I guess, um, I, I think it's kind of, I think horror and fantasy and science fiction and, and, and those kind of genres are interesting because they give us a, they give us a vocabulary to talk about things that are difficult to talk about, like, particularly sex, I suppose. Um, don't know about everyone else, I find sex incredibly difficult to talk about. <laughs> um, and, and horror kind of gives us a language to talk about the, um, things that are forbidden or, or things that are um, wrong, like wrong things. And, and so I, I, I just love, um, I mean, God, if I had to think of a horror film that I I um, I love, I mean, I mean the, the first film that I, that I can recall ever seeing um, was, was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and the, the thrill of how horrifying it is and those wonderful scenes where the, the witch goes into the basement of the castle and there's a skeleton in a, um, it's in a cage and, and it's reaching for a jug of water and it's like an inch out of the way and the sheer cruelty and horror of that just thrilled me as a you know, four year old <laughs> and that's stayed with me and so, I mean, I guess, you know, kind of grown-up horror films. I love, I love Cat People. Well, I was going to say that the 1944 one. I also love the weird 1981 I one with too, all the <laughs> Giorgio Moroder music and the bestiality and so it's <laughs> That kind of thing. Connor. Someone said recently, like, we're all creating horror films in our heads, so you might as well get paid for it. <laughs> Which I think is, is sort of true. I mean, everybody's creating these awful horrors about their lives <laughs> and what's going on, so you might as well turn it into movies. But, um, I mean, for me, originally it probably came as a... Um, I, I started making horror films before I even watched a lot of horror films. So it was kind of a... It wasn't, like, so... We had a video camera when I was at home, so we used to make all kinds of films. And I think we just had more fun killing each other in films. And people seemed to respond to them more whenever we made horrors. So at the time, I was watching, you know, we'd make gangster movies and whatever we were watching. But like, uh, so it was more for making horrors. I was like, oh, I should watch more of these. I mean, my earliest horror memory was a thriller, watching thriller, and then. I think seeing Jaws when I they were the two yeah. I saw when I was young, and then probably, and the third was RoboCop, which um, <laughs> I was quite young. But the only reason I saw it because my mo mother wouldn't let us watch horror films. But my uncle said, "Oh, it's just like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz." <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I remember rewinding. There's a scene where I get kneecapped, and yes. I remember being about twelve or something and rewinding that scene, and my family thinking that was really weird <laughs> for doing that. Um, uh, but I think they were my early sort of memories of horror. I do remember, like, actually, I did the same thing as a kid. I think it was like 12, the Nightmare on Elm Street, when Johnny Depp gets pulled through the bed yeah. and gets milkshaked. I just kept rewinding at, the, <laughs> at the, the, the fountain coming out of the bed. I was like, what happened in that bed? Like, <laughs> well, is that something then that all of you have come up against, though, where, you know, there is a tendency to think that people who really love horror films, I think it's probably fair to say that maybe most people in this room, but certainly the four of us here, have a, a concentrated love of the, of the genre. Like, is that something you've had to fight against where when you tell people you love horror films, is it seen as a, an embarrassment or is it, you know, something you don't give a shit about what I'm people never, think about? I've never minded being regarded as pervert. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 
mean, I, I, I think the reason that we go to the movies is to see things that we're not allowed to do. Um, so I think it's a natural and healthy thing to want to see, you know. But it is, because actually it's interesting to say, call it like be seen as a pervert, but like, is it a perversion to enjoy watching these things? Because I don't, I don't think so, but I, I understand that it's, it's portrayed as that way. Because I kind of agree with what you were saying earlier on, David, where it was the, like, horror is an incredible way of using this different vocabulary because we can use things on a slightly heightened level, but we can talk about very real challenges that people have. And it kind of, it's a safer bubble because people kind of process it differently. If it was a kitchen sink drama, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre with just three people sitting around a table complaining about life wouldn't have been quite as exciting. Um, I, mean, know, I think there's a divide because I think in general, I mean, it's okay to say you're into horror movies, but it's, there, there is certainly, if you go into the filmmaking side of things, there is, to a degree, a little bit of, um, uh, I suppose in Ireland, there's, there's a sense if you make a horror, that um, you can't just make it for the laugh and just chop a load of people up yes. or whatever. Like, like, there was a guy I know was in Los Angeles and he pitched, I'm just going to kill five people in ways you've never seen before. And they were like, give them the money. And they gave them, and they found, you can't do that in Ireland. No. You know, there's a sense where you've, you know, so, I don't know, the, the, the sort of like the, the, per, the industry and how you sort of engage and get funding to make horror films here where you, where you sometimes can't uh, kind of pitch it as complete entertainment. I think I could be wrong there. It's kind of the art you know, conservative nature that's. that's yeah, you have to justify why you want to yeah. have this entertainment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is maybe it's maybe there's a, maybe you do have to justify chopping <laughs> a lot of people up. I don't well, know. I, like, I think there's a time and place for everything because it's, it's funny when you talk about horror films. Like it's one of those. I don't know any other genre where it's broken down into so many other things. You've got our zombies, you've got vampires, you've got horror comedies, you've got comedy horrors. If you want to get really specific, yeah, you got your sci-fi horror. Like we're quite comfortable breaking it down into all these different worlds and it's okay because some of them are just fun like slasher films generally are about just kind of enjoying in a weird way watching like 10 people being killed off while there's other ones which have a much like say the Romero zombie films are much more kind of political subtext to them and social commentary like I don't think there's anything wrong with either of those like it always feels a bit weird to compare the two like if, if I was to try and challenge you like is Dawn of the Dead better than Evil Dead 2 I, I don't, know, don't know why we have to have that conversation they're both amazing yeah. You know, like, would you, like, David, when you were working at the Lodgers, we haven't seen it yet, um, but I guess it's, it's, a, it's a period horror film. Yeah. Do you want to actually give us a little introduction to it? Oh, um, I should have this off by now, but I don't. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit like, um, I guess it's like a cross between The Turn of the Screw um, and... Uh, the Cement Garden, so it's a kind of... Um, it's Which was The Innocence, was the movie. The Innocence was the movie of The Turn of the Screw, yeah, and then the others is kind of a yeah. riff on it, if, if you like. Um, it's, it's about a, a twin brother and sister who live in a creepy mansion in 1920 Ireland, and all the terrible things that emanate from their creepy mansion. It's going to say that on the poster. <laughs> and... I, would I be right in guessing that this is because, like you say, in the tone of, of the innocence and everything, this is going back much more to the more subtle kind of creeping dread, unnerving horror as opposed to overt violence and aggressiveness? Or like, you know, jump scares? Or are we... Um, I don't think it's wildly violent. Um, I, I suppose what it emerges from most is, is a sort of... I mean, I, I don't know to what degree this is considered a horror tradition, but this sort of gothic romance. I, I remember when I was... When I was little and we used to go to the library on, on the weekends, my mum would take us to the library and there were always these great 
um, paperbacks and they always had a woman in a nightdress fleeing a castle in a storm holding a candelabra and the candles always stayed light in, in the storm um, and, and that, that kind of thing always fascinated me and I suppose it comes from, from that I mean I would hope it's, it's maybe a little less ridiculous than, than the, the lighted candelabra and storm genre but it's that kind of but, so does your love of horror then kind of come a bit more from reading over watching films or would it be? Um, it's both. I mean, I, I see horror as a film genre much more than a literary thing. I think it ha- you have to see it and it's sort of visceral and it mm. has to sort of explode in your face, as it were. And, and literature doesn't really do that. I don't understand, you know, these kind of like, Stephen King books and stuff where it's like a phone book. I, yeah. I don't know how you can stay in that space for the time it takes to read a thousand pages. Audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just out of interest with the crowd in general, like, uh, I'll do two shows of hands, is like for people who prefer their horrors to be fun and enjoyable, can we get hands in the air? And the other option, I suppose I'll say, is it more violent and disturbing. So, fun and enjoyable and violent and disturbing. And the people in the middle, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but what, what, tell us, like, what, kind of, what kind of horrors do you enjoy? Not so scary. <laughs> no, it's just funny because like... <laughs> you like that or don't? Yeah, that kind of level. So like less kind of on-screen violence and more kind of just a creepy story. Yeah. I kind of, yeah, like I, I enjoy both kinds, but I do think the ones that kind of get under your skin last longer. So like the like really violent films will get you in that moment. It's disgusting. You'll want to turn away. You'll be horrified. But the stuff that really tends to stick with you and bother you it, it is more the story and that kind of twisted mm. reality. Question for the rest of you guys then. Like, is, is there such thing as going too far in horror? Like, wh- where is that line and who decides what that line is? A Serbian film. I yeah. like it. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, like, there is. Like, it, in my opinion, like, when you look at, okay, you look at Friday the 13th, you look at Nightmare Announcer, you look at Hellraiser. Okay, firstly, Friday the 13th and the slasher films of the 80s. And everyone, all, all the teenagers had, like, a problem that they were being killed off. It was kind of like this conservative Reagan-era type politics. You know, they were having sex, they're dead. They are taking drugs, they were dead. Or whatever else you were doing, you were a stoner. Yeah, that's drugs, yeah, you're dead. But like uh, whatever other stereotypes you are, you're being killed. But then uh, the killer would get his comeuppance by the innocent girl at the end, you know, the final girl as they would call it. Um, then you would get films like Saw, where in Saw you had a moralistic serial killer who would entrap criminals and people that have done a lot of bad in their life to kind of f- escape escape death traps as a sort of rehab to kind of find a new lease on life. So, so all these films, like even uh, and Hellraiser, for example, uh, Pinhead isn't really an evil guy. He's coming over saying, uh, you've been a bad person, uh, you've done all these things in your life, and I'm taking you to hell. You know, so, so in a sense, all these films kind of teach you these these sort of moralistic lessons. And it's usually interesting, you know, uh, whatever horror films they are, they always have something like, but like, you can have sometimes a film like a Serbian film or uh, some other films that they'll push too far. Have people here seen a Serbian film? It's banned. Not really recommended, unless you're really- Banned in this country, yeah. Yeah. uh, 
But like it's it, it was kind of like I think it came through. It was kind of buried out of the success of Saw and Hostel. But sure, even you look at Hostel, for example. <clears throat> so all these foreigners are going to Eastern Europe and they're being tortured by the by the rich who bid for their their bodies. Uh, but but in each Hostel film, the hero gets their get, gets their revenge. So so the audience feels kind of like somewhat satisfied, even though we're setting up. Uh, it'll always go on, the bidding will always go on, and the evil will always be there, you know? So, so I mean, usually 90% of horror films... They, they do, yeah, actually, no, because, yeah. like, the, the moral thing is a good thing to talk about, uh, and I, I, I want to get back to you guys on the question, but just on the moral thing, though, like, uh, I think... I like a film that has a good moral message and that, that works at the end. It's very rewarding. The only danger, I think, in some horror films, say a Serbian movie, but then even if we look at some of the rape revenge films as well, is there is kind of a... It's a cheap exploitation film about watching, say, the brutalization of a woman for, for say, 80 minutes, or even if it was the first half an hour, and then she gets her revenge later on. And the idea is that it was fine to enjoy this very violent scene earlier on because they got their comeuppance afterwards. But depending on the film, I don't always believe that the, yeah, you know... You see, it depends on the movie. Like, uh, if you take Martyrs, for example, which I, which I, I love, you hated this. Did you? I, I, I love Martyrs. <laughs> I think it's one of the greatest. Well. Uh, yeah. But, like, the French one. See, Spanish. I don't know. It's like, often, I would say, you can, <laughs> you can, you can disagree with me in a second. <laughs> but, um, a lot of the time when people kind of get offended by it, but like, okay, I... I really don't want to be the the, the, the the person like you know behind a Serbian film. Like I mean, I watched no, it. Once, but, but, but the only thing I'll say about it is, and it goes with a lot of other stuff. It's like the way. Uh, often it's because the film is well made. You know, like it's not like it was like a terribly exploitative, badly made kind of movie. Like it kind of the reason it's it kind a nice of shocked people is kind of because they knew what they were doing and they executed or however depraved but they executed the depravity quite well yeah you know so i mean i don't know quite what i'm saying but it's it's kind of like you know it, it's there's a sense that that where where the film is dismissed like the people didn't know what they were doing and they just want to be exploitative whereas often it's like i mean i don't know if there's quite a parallel but do you know the way reservoir dogs people say oh it's such a violent movie yes and at the same time it's not that much violence in the film it no. just happens to be very well done it's yeah. kind of funny as well yeah so like for me i don't know i i really liked martyr i mean martyrs is a very violent mm. film but i like but why did you not like uh, okay well i, I <laughs> oh martyrs <laughs> i i don't i i I don't think that it is necessarily possible for, for films to go too far. I mean, a film I really like is, uh, is Possession. That, um, oh, that's a great film, yeah. This little girl, I can't say his name, Polish filmmaker from its uh, early 1980s. But there's this scene with Isabella Jani where she, she goes crazy in the, in the subway, really famous scene, and it goes on and on and on and on. And it is everybody's idea of too far, but it's so cathartic, um, the fact that she did that. Um, the fact that they they simply let the camera roll and we see it, um, and it's beyond all barriers of good taste, and it's it's magnificent. Um, martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone actually, sorry, just so like on possession, we're talking about this is like a, a, probably a six minute scene. I would imagine the subway of ten minutes is it of the the main actress literally just completely losing it. Um, I think it's, it's fair to say, and it develops from there. So it's quite intense because there's no kind of cutaway or relief. Not as bad as irreversible. No, that's another yeah, day's but conversation. But, but, it's, but irreversible is, is 
copying it, I guess. But yeah. it's the opposite. I mean, how often do you get to see a woman express that kind of rage mm, in, yeah. in a film and, uh, in a way that's, that's not within, you know, some kind of rape revenge? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I just, you know, there's certain movies that's like Martyrs, there's Hostel, and it's a bunch of teenagers getting tortured, and, and people go, oh, well, you know, it's really a commentary. Hostel is really a commentary on the relationship between Americans and Europeans, and it's like... Well, you know, if you're really interested in that, you can read Washington Square or The Portrait of a Lady or something. I'm not for a moment convinced that people are going to hostel because they want to see a commentary on the relationship. <laughs> Agreed, yeah. And also, you know, I thought Martyrs was a gross... It is. <laughs> ...series of scenes of young women being tortured, beaten. Eventually she's flayed alive, I think. Oh, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not convinced for a minute by this flimsy wafer of philosophical bullshit that they layer into the film, this stupid Kubrickian... Like, yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen Martyrs, sorry, just before you get out, just to introduce, yeah. so Martyrs is a French horror film. A very, the French went through an extreme horror phase, probably in the early 2000s, I think, starting kind yeah, of switchblade romance, romance and then kind of moving on from there. But Martyrs is probably the, the most hardcore, but maybe inside nowadays, but uh, it involves like uh, two girls basically turn up at a, a family home and uh, she shoots one of the kids, and, and violence ensues from there, and it kind of leads into... It, it, it twists around halfway, and actually, I, I totally agree with your argument, actually, because I quite like the film. I think it's a very well-made film, but I agree with you that it's a, a bullshit notion at the end to try and tie it but all then, together. At the same time, right, okay, so Martyrs kind of opens with a kind of Joseph Fritzl situation where this kid is being tortured, but, uh, like, hidden, like, from everyone else, and she's just living in, like, solitude uh, by, by this family. And so, so the whole thing has a grim, grim mean-spirited feel throughout the whole film. But the ending, she kind of the only bit she gets of empowerment, she doesn't tell them what she saw, like you know. And uh, that's that's kind of like it doesn't just end on like hopelessness, but it's still it's still a grim experience. And I think a lot of uh, French cinema kind of pushed it that way, like. Yeah, but it's my, my question is like the rape revenge ones, though. It's like you know, at the end they give us a reason for why. Like, as a, they give you a justification at the end, but does that actually really excuse yeah. what they've shown? And I think that's a hard one in, in horror films. Yeah. And I agree with you, because actually it's very rough. Martyrs is a very tough film. Uh, yeah, and I do think it's there to sensationalise and well, enjoy itself. Well, you know, I mean, ultimately, I, you know, it's, it's about the idea that one can pursue a visionary experience through extreme violence. I yeah, the only way to find God is true. And, and there's this part in the movie where somebody goes, oh, and of course young women are most susceptible to it. And that, that's never really explained. It just seems to be an excuse to get the actresses, two beautiful actresses, into their underwear and torment them for it. Um, but there were, um, you know, there, things came out of that French... Um, that wave of e extreme French films that were really fascinating. Like, I, I love Claire Denis' film Trouble Every Day, mm. which is Beatrice Stahl plays a, a cannibal. Um, mm. And it, it's incredibly um, uh, d disturbing and it, it's sexy. And Vincent Gallo is in it as well, so of course it's you know, going to be insane. Um, but, but, you know, Claire Denis is a real filmmaker, yeah. and I don't think Martyrs is the world. I think Martyrs is, is like a very long music video. Do you put Martyrs in the same world as Hostel? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the only difference with Hostel, like, I guess, is it's a bit, there's a bit more comedy. It's a bit more lighthearted. Yeah. See, that disturbs me more, actually, because I think they're actually making more light. I don't know why I, I yeah. find that kind of... Uh, My last comment on Martyrs is just... <laughs> 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 last word. Um, like, I'll tell you the one thing I liked about Martyrs. 
um, was that it's rare to watch a horror film that where you don't really know where you are in the film. And it's because of the structure of that film. Um, you know, normally you watch a horror film and whether it's people move into a house, spooky things, blah, 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 or whatever it might be, you're, you're kind of orientated a lot of the time about what to expect and what's going to come up. Like, Martyrs was the first film I'd seen in a long time that kind of knocked me off guard. Yeah. And as I was watching it, I, I just didn't know where I was or what was going to happen or what was going to come at me. And I think it was that sense that it threw me off that I hadn't seen in a while that I liked about it. Yeah, when we that was when that screened at the Hearthon, like uh, it was one of the few times I've seen a film there. I think Charlie's family would have been it's now the Manson family on DVD, but like uh, where people actually left in silence afterwards, which is pretty rare because like you know the Hearthon audience people quite enjoy themselves and everything, but it really did catch people off guard and the the brutality of it. But like then to touch on where you were going with it, David. Then like what about the representation of say women in horror films? And again, it's not so much about bashing older films where people had different attitudes over different times, but what about the responsibility of nowadays? Like, The Lodgers is a female lead, am I correct? Is that something that, that was on your mind when you were writing it? Or do you think just the type of personality you are that you wouldn't have to worry about writing an exploitative type film? Well, I don't know. I, I, I always think of horror as a, a, a woman's genre. And it's, I, I kind of find it weird when you see horror films with a male lead. And I, I don't know why. It's just when I think back to all the ones that I've enjoyed, uh, be it... What cat people, but also you know Halloween is is mm. uh, a, a female lead, uh, Alien, all of these things. Um, for some primal reason, I guess it's more thrilling. And and I don't know if it's because we live in a misogynist culture, we perceive the odds being stacked against women more anyway. So to see a, a, a woman sort of in the you know in those kind of roles is more thrilling to us. Um, but I, I, I just it's always a sort of computation in my head that you can make a horror film without a female lead. It doesn't really occur to me. I do remember that, like, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, they tried to do things differently. Yeah. And in actual fact, everyone hated Nightmare 2 when it came out, but when, it, when you look at Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh, Fraser Revenge, now it's actually a very clever social commentary on the time of, uh, you know, coming out, like, in the 80s. I mean, the actor at the time, you know, he, he's gay, Mark Patton, and he was, like, afraid of that. In fact, shortly after that, he quit acting for years. But, like, that film kind of has so much subtext in it. You know, you have uh, this, this character that sleepwalks to a bar, uh, and uh, and then you have, like, him being whipped in, uh, in the showers. Uh, but then you also have him, the only way to defeat Freddy is through this, like... Uh, his girlfriend, actually there's this one scene with his girlfriend where um, she's like about to have sex with him at a, at a beer garden area and he doesn't want to do it and he runs over to his best friend Rod's place and, he's, and, and he says, yo, there's, some, there's someone trying to get inside of me. And, you know, it's kind of like, I suppose you could say it's a top gun of horror films in that sense. But the film is quite clever. I know. I know. Like, but there's the, the interesting thing is, right, some text kind of came to the forefront. At the end, uh, Freddy possesses him. And uh, Freddy's like the straight, possess him. And his girlfriend kisses him. Uh, and it's kind of like... Oh, oh, he needs to conform to society. And it's so interesting when you look at Nightmare on Elm Street 2 in that sense that, like, uh, you know, trying to find your identity, trying to be who you are, and, and there's this evil that the world sees what you are as evil. And uh, I think Freddy's manipulated in such a way in that film as that way. So sometimes horror films have an interesting angle on touching on 
on subjects, and particularly at that time, like, I mean, you know, you have, you have these elements that can be subtext, but, you know, maybe you can look at it in more and find more meaning in a horror film. And, yeah, and it was AIDS era as well. Yeah. Yeah. Tend to forget about that, as, as is the fly as well. Mm, absolutely. You watch the. I always see the. I know that David Cronenberg has disagreed with this, but I, I, I see the fly as absolutely about AIDS and and the the fact that it's the story of um this man who has this degenerative disease. People won't touch him. All the things that happen to to people with AIDS, and um and the the romance of that that the Gene Davis character endures with him and stays with him to the point that it becomes impossible for him to do so. I think yeah, that, mm. and I also love Nightmare on Elm Street too. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, his girlfriend and she really looks like Meryl Streep. She does and actually. I, and for years, I thought it was her. I thought this was her embarrassing <laughs> early role, but no. yes. Yeah. Somebody else. <laughs> but it's a very clever film that actually holds up, holds up better now than maybe when it was back then. You know, it was kind of ahead of its time. Yeah. Connor, what about you? Like, do you think the films like *Moral Responsibility*, whether it's with, with female characters, but actually just in general, like in your films, do you feel because you do tend to have, whether it's your intention or not, but there is like a, a moral in your films. But like, is that important or is it just sort of something you? you it's part of the story. Oh God. Um, Do your films make people a better person? <laughs> like, honestly, some of my early films, that wouldn't, it wouldn't occur to me in the sense of, you know, the ideas you get about films. It's like, I mean, and generally my films are pretty light because, I mean, it's a comedy horror. So it's like, if I'm making a zombie film about mad cows infected <laughs> humans, I, I don't, I'm not too concerned about my moral responsibility <laughs> as such, you know, or... So, in a sense, that hasn't really been a big, like, a big issue in, in the stuff that I've done because it tends to, I guess, lean into more comedy, comedy but, horror, or I don't yeah. know if that's answering the question. But what about actually, the, the, so can, do you want to talk about one of the new films that you're working on? Because that, that touches on an area that could be seen as politically incorrect, or depending on how you handle the thing. Do you want to talk about it and say... I don't know what you're referring the to. The vampires... Oh, junkie vampires. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, do I have a moral responsibility? In well, this no, because like your team, go on, give, give oh. the basic pitch. Well, okay, well, this is one project. It's a basically, well, junkie vampires kind of says it. It's, it's a vampire <laughs> movie where the vampire's junkie. But, um, and it's a comedy. Um, I think, I mean, what I'm dealing with is kind of. Um, I guess the vampires is an analogy, but it's 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 kind of about kind of narcissistic people or people who are kind of uh, what would you call it like energy vampires. People, mm. I mean, that's the analogy. So it's less about junkies. I mean, the junkie kind of idea. I mean, originally it was going to be called a junkie vampire in Dublin because I thought it would be a take on an American werewolf in London. But then I was told I can't use the, the word junkie in the title, probably, you know, yeah. for good reason. <laughs> um, so, in a way, I mean, just speaking openly about it, it's, 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 it's a tricky thing when, you're, when you are making a comedy about that because you, you're kind of toeing the line with a subject that is quite serious and you want to make a comedy out of it. So, really, for me, the film, it's not really about junkies in that sense. It's, it's more about... Uh, vampiric type people you know it, it, the, the story is really about two brothers and one of them is just a user it's basically a user and someone who's been used and 
and the story is about not so much that the user is the problem, but the person being used is also part of the problem. And it's their kind of realization of, hey, I'm letting this guy use me, you know. So, but that, that implies, sense, yeah, sorry, but that, that implies to me that you are quite aware, though, of, do you know what I mean? Like, it's not that your, your film is necessarily trying to make a major point, but you are conscious. Oh, yeah, no, no, with this film, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's definitely, it's probably one of the first films where I'm, I'm talking about a topic that I'm kind of familiar with, yeah. or that I, that I want to explore within that world. So, and it is about showing a character and how to deal with, with people who are draining, you, yeah. know, you know? So, so in that sense, yeah, it's less about the, I mean, the surface level comedy is only gonna take you so far in a story like that. Is that a challenge then, actually, just because obviously you're going to be making that with the film board, when, because I agree with you, actually, it's, I don't think any topic should be off the table, but it's more how people deal with it and approach. It really depends mm. whether it'll be offensive or not. Like, wow. is that something you had to sell to the film board, though, like, to try and... No, I mean, it's, I mean, to be honest, it's, it, with this, it wasn't the case of that. That was just the nature of the project. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's not like I put that in there because I thought it would be an easier sell. I mean, to be honest, that was the story yeah. I kind of wanted to explore. And you've had no problems? No. Okay. Cool. Okay, well then, let's, let's bring it back onto something slightly more lighthearted. Like, can, can you guys tell me one film that genuinely scared you? Like, genuinely scared you? Without mentioning markers. <laughs> <laughs> can I? Yeah, go on, until we get back right. in there. Okay, so um, I'm going to have to go back to Nightmare on Elm but I have to talk about the first one. Uh, even what age the, were you when you saw it? I was about 10, and it was on Sky Movies at the time, Sky Premier, Sky Max, or whatever. And I, I watched it at 3 in the morning, snuck into the living room, stuck on Nightmare on Elm Street. And that one scene where Freddie stretches his arms in alleyways, even to, to this day, when I walk home at night, and I walk through an alleyway, why walk through an alleyway at night? My brain keeps putting the idea of a man stretching his arms down the alleyway, and that just gives me the fucking chills. Like, you know, it's just like these surrealistic things, you know, that just mess with your head. Uh, yeah, no, that film really creeped me out and got under my skin. But I know, when you look at it now, it's kind of dated, I know, which is a shame. I still think it's a great film. I think it's still <laughs> scary. Yeah. Anyone else? Sure. Um, I, well, I remember being... At when I was a very small child, Twin Peaks was on TV and we weren't allowed, to, it wasn't allowed in our house. <laughs> <laughs> and we never really knew why, but we just knew that it, there was something about it that just sort of reeked of evil. And, and I saw a, a bit of it, um, you know, while my mother was out of the room mm. or something. And there's a scene in it where um, um, Grace the Brisky, um, the Sarah Palmer character goes to her daughter's bedroom the, the morning after her daughter has yeah. disappeared and we all know what happens to her daughter. And she looks around the room, she sees nothing and she goes downstairs and then later in the episode we flash back to that same scene and it slows and we see that there is in fact a figure crouched at yeah, the end yeah. of the bed. Bob. Um, yeah, the, who was actually the carpenter working. Yeah, he was, he was a set designer. Or something. And they just yeah. sort of threw him in. But, but it's the... It's the fact that you see it once and then you see it again and you realise that you didn't see it the first time, which is what's so thrilling about it because we all have that moment, you very rarely see that in horror films, that moment of non-comprehension. Something comes and people shriek in a horror film, but that's not what happens in real life. Something comes and you don't know what it is and then you shriek. Yeah. There's this wonderful scene in Don't Look Now when um, the little girl is drowned in the in pond 
and Donald Sutherland is bringing his daughter's body to, to the house where Julie Christie is, is, is coming out of the house. And she sees him carrying the child up, but there's actually quite a long moment between when she sees it and when her brain connects and realizes what it is. And there's this wonderful moment of where Julie Christie is looking and she's not knowing what she's seeing. And you see that so seldom and it's really powerful to see. I tell you, like, I think Bob is definitely one of the scariest things. I mean, it's obviously his television, but genuinely chilling. Mm, but like, okay. you, you're right, sorry, I'm just on the jump scare thing, but sorry, but the Judy in Don't Look Now taking a moment to kind of realize the horror. I, it's something I've noticed in even like the, the earlier slashers, or particularly John Carpenter's earlier work, when you're using jump scares. Jump scares nowadays are just before your brain even has a chance to process what they're seeing, there's such a loud bang that we're going to jump. But in the older films, there was actually always a beat for us to silently see this creature and then the sound came in. They gave us that extra jolt, but it is that moment of horror of our brain before we actually know what we're seeing that really gets to you. I mean, well, now it's just ridiculous. I mean, I had to review this um, movie Rings, which is the... Oh, I haven't seen the latest out. Ring. I actually but, walked yeah. out. But there's a scene it where somebody opens an umbrella and the sound <laughs> goes boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, just, you know, it's just raining. It's not that terrifying. But you see it very seldom now in an effective scare. Um, the, one that, the only one that I can really recall recently was... Um, the film called Personal Shopper. I don't know if oh, Kristen Stewart. I missed it actually, but I heard it was very yeah, good. Olivia Slice's um, film. Of, it's a, it's a, a ghost story, but there's and I don't want to ruin it, but there's quite a lengthy sequence involving text messages, and I don't know. It's just because I'm have a particular history of sort of waiting for text messages <laughs> or something. But but there's a there's um, there's this terrific extended scene, and it runs about 25 minutes where she. She's receiving text messages and then she goes on the Eurostar and of, of course can't get them and then emerges from the Eurostar and gets them in a row and, and it's incredibly thrilling and, and what eventually happens at the end of the scene is, is incredibly um, oh, I'll have to take that terrifying in, in a really strange way because it's just a phone. Yeah. But it, it's the... It, it's well, in the same way in Twin Peaks, it was just a man crouched behind a bed and yet yeah. devastating. But the oh, right, the, the yeah. ordinary thing in the wrong place. Yeah. Is, is so, it's so frightening. Connor? Um, yeah, no, I remember that Bob moment as well. Yeah. Like, I watched Twin Peaks just by accident one evening, you know, and I do remember that as a, quite a terrifying moment. I think the film for me that I, that I, I actually haven't been able to watch it on my own, or it's... The Exorcist, basically, but it was one of those films where I don't like things about the devil and possession. Why? The, the, I think because it gets into my head. It's the one film, like I don't mind like anybody in a mask running around. Or, yeah. Uh, but for some reason, like the actually the Innocence as well was. I remember watching that one night. Anything about supernatural gets sort of into my head. And it's the one film, I mean, I love it. Like, mm. I've, I've seen The Exorcist loads of times, I think it's a great film. But it's the one film, I kind of, if I'm on my own and I was going to put on a horror film, I, I hesitate before I put on The Exorcist. Because I know it puts me in a certain kind of mood where I'm kind yeah. of creeped. And even the, I think I was watching Paranormal Activity 3 or 2 or something, and I was watching that on my own on my laptop. And it really, like... I think 3's really good. Yeah. It's genuinely scary. It's scary. The at the end. Yeah. Creepy. No, it's and the other thing that's terrifying, which is not a horror film at all, but the last one that's getting it's probably silly, but the, the remake of The Jungle Book. <laughs> the tiger is terrifying. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand why Shere Khan had become an East End villain in The, in the Jungle Book. He seemed to like, 
film it. <laughs> Scary, yeah. But there's actually something that I just remembered. Um, it's a, a recent film that I, I think didn't get a lot of the attention that it deserves. There's an Australian film called Lake Mungo. Yes. Yeah. That really got to me, actually. It's a terrifying scene. It's a mockumentary, but so like, it, it's not, like, it is sort of found footage, but it, it's positioned as like a full-on documentary you're watching. So there's interviews with people after the fact, and there's photos presented, and it's about a family who've lost their daughter, right? Yeah. And uh, they begin to believe that perhaps she's trying to communicate with them. There, there's family photos where they see there's sort of a shadow in the background, they think maybe it's her, and it kind of evolves as it goes on. But I, when I started watching that, for the first 10 minutes or so, I was kind of thinking, I don't think I'm gonna get into this. Mm. And it just, it's that kind of thing that builds and gets under your skin, and by the end, I was genuinely, genuinely, I'd say more disturbed than terrified, but I, I was freaked. You know, I didn't jump or scream, but it bothered me, and I love that, like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Australian, I know there's a, a very rich tradition of horror films in Australia, especially sort of Wolf, Wolf Creek, Creek yeah. and that kind of stuff. But I just, there's something about the mystery of the Australian landscape, and, and there's something about Australia that I just think is freaky. But is, is, is that the question, though? Because like, like, that's every country working to their strengths, because actually I want to talk a little bit about Irish film now in a moment, but like, is it because it's just foreign to us? Because I sometimes wonder, like, Irish horror films are quite popular abroad. And I think sometimes over here, audiences don't necessarily respond because they kind of go, sure, that's only the street down the road, that's fine. You know, I know there's no problems there, but when we watch an Asian film, we kind of believe, well, maybe ghosts aren't real over there, but not here. We watch The Outback, and we're like, that's different. Is it just that it's not what we're used to? Well, I don't know. I mean, I remember going to see the American version of The Grudge, mm. and, and Sarah Michelle Gellar is being tormented by spirits, and... Um, a policeman says to her, well, that, you know, that just happens in Japan. And, and we're sort of supposed to accept it. I, I don't know about that. I mean, I think Australia, I think it's that there are places in that country that are wild. There's yeah. loads of crazy animals that can kill you. Yeah. And, and like dangerous spiders and everything. And it could be prehistory. It could be any yeah. time. And we don't have that in our I mean, we don't, but we're steeped in, in, in superstition and mythology, you know, because I'd be with Connor on the superstition stuff that supernaturals kind of gets me more, I don't know why, than like direct violence. Um, but like we are, we're a country just completely I guess, immersed in that. Like I'm not religious, but I will say this, I still got sinister. One and two, I did double bail in my house on my own. And when the films ended, I had to turn on all the lights in the whole house because that was just terrifying. Just the idea that this guy could be anywhere you know it could but it's really in your head and to me that's to me that gets under my skin more than you know a slasher as well it's when it plays with your head like that it just you get the chills like you the, know the the kind of snuff movies in the first sinister really yeah. bothered me they really yeah. got to me uh, okay but like so irish uh films like is there anything that like because irish horror is actually doing quite well i'm not sure that everyone in ireland is always aware of that but the, the films tend to do quite well abroad is there anything you feel that we're not tapping into um, that we're missing a trick on. Say the way the French had their extreme cinema boom, the Asian J-horror kind of thing, Ausploitation in Australia, you know, what, what should we be focusing on? Well, I think we've all just done one of, of different genres in mm. a sense, and there's not enough of each one. Like for example, I did an action horror movie, and I think it's the only Irish action horror movie made. I'd say that's probably fair. And uh, you've made a Slasher with Stitches, you made a vampire movie from the dark, and uh, would you consider that a vampire film? Technically, yeah, yeah. And you, you made a supernatural film, so so I, you know, like I think 
we just need to make more of these like the and everything is just like no there's one and done so far like and we kind of i think we're only ireland over the last few years is only starting to get into the horror genre or starting to push it more it's starting to come out more you know and i think we just need support more like yeah what do you think then like say uh it obviously has been such a massive success at the box office. Uh, I'm not, I can't even, don't even know where the figure is now, but I think it's coming up to 500 million or more. Like yeah. it, it's, it's huge, and this is for an R-rated horror film in America. So I, I don't think it was 18s here, was it? 15s, 16s, 16s. But like for like a straight up violent film, which they kind of disappeared for a while there. That's a massive, massive amount of money to be made, and, and in a way proves that you don't have to make PG-13 horror, which I think most horror fans have been frustrated by over the last decade or so. Do you think that's going to spill down to? us making films, not that you necessarily have to make a very violent film, but do you think that's going to help when you're trying to sell your next film, that you're going to be able to say, look, people can deal with these darker topics, that we shouldn't be afraid of it, and it's not box office curse? Um, well, the first thing I'd say about it, um, I'm not 100% sure what your question is, but <laughs> um, what I will say is, the thing, the thing about it is, probably for the last five or six years, I've been trying to make R-rated horror movie with kids, and you you constantly been told you can't make that kind of movie. No one's ever going to see that movie because the problem is if you kids as leads, um, who people always assumed if you have kids as leads in an R-rated film, adults won't go to see it, and kids won't go to see it. You know, but I think Stranger Things. I think what's changed now is two things. One is because of the internet, kids can kind of see whatever they want, mm -hmm. and I think also there's this whole nostalgia thing as well, where we we're happy to watch a kind of an eighties style Spielberg movie, even if it is a horror movie. So I think that movie has kind of changed the goalposts along with Stranger Things, and it's opened up that idea that it's possible to make or rated horror movies. Like, the, the thing I think is significant with it is that there's kids in that movie, mm. do you know? Mm. And violent things do happen to those yeah, kids. Like, yeah, and that's something you kind of haven't seen before, or I can't think of it. The brood. Kids as leads, or have you? Uh, doesn't the devil's backbone involve a lot of yeah. things? Yeah. I, I mean, I take a rather dim view of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I wasn't actually a massive person. Because to my eye, it was a children's film. Um, and the, the, the register of the film and, and the, the way the story was told, you know, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, it, it felt like a children's film to me. And the only thing that didn't feel like a children's film was all the cursing. And, and I can imagine if I'd seen that when I was 10, I would have thought it was the best film ever. Mm -hmm. um, but now I found it a little dull. And, and it seems to me to be part of this weird infantilizing culture now where, you know, adults everyone is reading Harry Potter and going to see, you know, children's movies. I, I, I don't understand oh, no, the popularity. I, <laughs> it, it, children at the same time as being horror. I mean, you, you, like, there, there's some horrible things happening in the book to the, um, what's the name of the girl character in, in it again? It is Beverly, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, whatever happens in the book is nasty, but in, in film they, they, they tease on it, but like, there is a lot of dark subjects in the film It. However, I would have felt it would have been better had you killed off a few more kids to kind of raise <laughs> that the stakes. That makes the sequel real difficult. <laughs> I know, but like, kill two more off. Yeah. But like, no, but that opening scene grabs you alone to say, look, at you're in for a ride, you know, that, that first five minutes. But 
you know, it, it does, I mean, that film wouldn't have been made if it wasn't for Stranger Things, and now I feel like the studios feel comfortable now that we can explore new avenues in horror. I mean, 500 million on 35 million budget, it just speaks for itself. Like, yeah, and they even reduced that budget because I think Poltergeist came out during the year and the poster was of a clown, Yeah. and they, because it didn't do well, they were like, oh, clown movies don't sell, and they slashed the budget by yeah. 10 million or something. Well, like that, yeah, I think we've all dealt with that in different projects. Um, okay, well, before, because we're going to get up to our, our screening in a few minutes, but then just before we pass, can I just briefly touch on TV horror? Because this is kind of an interesting thing that's happened recently, which initially I was very heavily against because they were just taking all my favorite horror films and turning them into TV series. And, I, you know, what worked perfectly in two hours didn't need 13 hours or six or seven seasons. Um, but I've kind of, because I've just started watching The Exorcist, and I'm about three episodes in, I'm actually really surprised by it. I actually think it's, it's very well made, and I, of all the films, I thought that was the worst idea you could ever touch on. What do you guys think? Is there any good TV horror? Can it actually be scary, or is it just an interesting kind of twisted story? My favourite so far, I'm fucking loving it, is Ash vs. Evil Dead. It's so good. Like, <laughs> it just continues from After Army of Darkness, and, uh, you know, you got Bruce Campbell cracking those jokes and fighting those demons. And it's just a great companion piece to the Evil Dead trilogy. I'm just like, because like, if you like Aaron Dash and Evil Dead 2, it's kind of gone that gory comic booky five with it. And they're on season three now. But like, yeah, no, that's to me is one of the funnest shows I've seen. And I think what's great about TV, I think Nightmare on Elm Street would make a great series. Because if you look at the mythology, the Have Dream Warriors. Have Freddy's Nightmares? No, 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 no. Forget <laughs> Freddy's Nightmares, Tales from the Crypt stuff. But yeah. I mean, like the ideas. The characters you can explore, the, the, you could actually develop Freddy before the things that happen to him. You could explore the dream warriors. You could explore all these different things that the only tease is. It's very serialized in the film's canon itself. I mean, I think a lot of, like, Freddy 13 would work better as a series as well. I mean, because they always made lots of sequels and they always expand their mythology. So I think films work, horror genre adapts perfectly for TV. Like, I wasn't personally a huge fan of Scream Show. I, I didn't like Change the Mask, and I didn't like, I'm not clicked on modern social media as much, Facebook maybe, but like, it's just tuned out. Like, but no, I, but at the same time, I would say, yeah, no, I mean, it's refreshing and it's exciting how edgy TV's getting online streaming. Like, I mean, and, and like, if you haven't seen Ash Fierce Evil Dead, watch it. It's so funny and it's gory and it's. <laughs> I think that's an endorsement from yeah. <laughs> David. Um, yeah, um, I think it's. I, I think there are some interesting things on, on TV. Um, I thought that the new series of, of Twin Peaks actually had interesting mm. things. That was very good. Uh, and, and some things I wasn't into. Yeah, but I agree. I mean, I think the reason that that program was banned in our house when I was a child is still holds true. Like TV has a special power because it's in your home and you bring it into your home and. You usually watch it alone, you don't watch it with other people, you don't section it off the way cinema happens in a safe place. Um, so TV is, is powerful that way. And yet I kind of feel like it, this power is sort of on top, like you, you watch a lot of... I thought The Exorcist was kind of good, I thought Gina Davis was great. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but then you see these, th you see like American Horror Story and stuff. Never get into that. And to me, you know, it's, it's a little bit of horror with loads of kind of prurient sexual stuff 
and Lady Gaga. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, she was pretty horrifying. Um, <laughs> but um, and, and to me, it speaks a lot more about the way well, American is in the title, so we can assume it's some kind of comment on, on Americans. And it, it seems to just t- say a lot about how Americans have all these weird hang-ups about about sex. And so they need to kind of put a little bit of horror into sort of cloak and dagger it into the TV schedules. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, it's just kind of a rambling mess. Um, so, yeah. So the potential in it are like... I think there is potential. I mean, I think that the, the, the potential for TV to be a sinister portal in, into our lives, especially now that, that... I live in the country, so everywhere I... You know, every house I walk past, people have these massive TVs. Mm. Everyone in the country has a massive TV. I, I thought I would be living with, you know, animals and stuff, but <laughs> everyone's got a massive TV in the country. And you, you, walk, you walk along the street at night and every, the, the blue light is on in every house. And then you go to wherever here, Stony Bat or wherever, and everyone is hunched over their laptop watching. So, you know, it is this little doorway into our homes. and. Yeah, I think sinister things should come in. More sinister, mm. more mm. sinister than stranger things. I mean, I was so excited about that because really wanted to see Winona Ryder again mm. and all of this stuff. And, and again, it was, it was for children. And I, I want things to be more horrifying. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you, actually. Connor? Um, yeah, what's weird is, like... I haven't watched a lot of the horror TV, even though it's on, and I should be watching it. Like, I haven't watched Walking Dead, and I think part of my resistance was that all these things that were sort of, you felt like were niche and were your little thing have now become really popular, and like, I'm not watching this now. But actually then, when you do watch them, they're really good. Um, I mean, the other thing that's kind of along those lines, which I, um, there were two horror films that were made for TV, like I, I watched Gerald's Game recently. Oh yeah, very good. And Hush. Which I thought were both, I mean, they were both horror films made directly for Netflix. Yeah, these are Netflix originals directed by 